Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Amanda Blackwood. I have an incredible story for you guys today. My guest, Roseanne Forte, has quite the transformative story. Um, I'm going to bring her on, let her tell you like it is. But before we get too far into it, I'm actually going to have her tell you how you can reach out to her and find out more information about her. So Roseanne, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for... Um... For offering that up. I'm the author of a daily devotional called The Plans He Has for Me, which is a 12-week daily devotional for freedom from alcohol. And what I like to tell um, listeners is if they want to know more, I have, if you go to my website, www.theplansyhasforme.com, you can get access to um, my freedom from alcohol resource. And it gives you five foundational principles to change your relationship with alcohol that I call psychological slavery. (laughs) And I just really want people to understand that that resource is available because it's kind of the guiding principles behind my daily devotional. So thanks for asking. Man, that is so powerful. Just, just exactly what you just said. The psychological side of this is it's just slavery. I mean, it is. When we want to stop something and we can't, it's being a slave to it, right? It's like, yeah, I want to be free of this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Roseanne, where are you originally from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Hampshire and, um, you know, kind of small town uh, by the coastline. Went to Went to college in Massachusetts, uh, worked in Boston for a while, followed my parents to San Diego, California. Yeah, I've been all over the place. It was not a plan. It just happened. But that's where I met my husband. I raised my kids. And then I um, retired to Arizona, where my 29-year marriage fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's where I am today. So, wow. So I understand that you've had some of your own uh, trauma that kind of led into what happened later. Are you open to talking about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, we all have it, right. But it's just a matter of degree. Um, But for me, it was, a difficult marriage where I felt like he was very controlling. Like I am a very happy-go-lucky. I never had depression. Um, you know, always goal-oriented. If I can do something, I'll get it done. 
And, and then I met somebody who I felt was controlling and I don't know, you know, it's hard for me to say because he's the husband of my children, right? Whether it was intentional or not, but let's just put it this way over, over time, I developed a, a mantra that was very disturbing that I was not lovable, that I was worthless, that I couldn't do anything right. Um, you know, it was horrendous. And I was dealing with trying to balance being a professional who was, for half the marriage was the breadwinner, the predominant breadwinner. Um, and then uh, playing the role of a traditional wife and a traditional mother. I mean, I just about cracked. Right? Well, yeah, that's a lot on your plate. Any one of those things is a lot. Yeah. And I didn't manage it well. I mean, I started drinking when I was fairly young. Uh, 13 and you drink to, you know, you don't start drinking because you think it's going to lead into a problem. You, you drink because that's what society tells you to do. And I drank at a very young age uh, when I was 13 to fit in. I went to college and it was kind of animal housey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it was just a party and have fun. I went up into the workforce and it was, you know, happy hours and business meetings and business trips and, and the occasional business lunch. It's just alcohol was already always there. Um, you know, you use it for romanticism on dates. And then with my um, then husband, um, it was just always part of the lifestyle um, you know, when we went out with friends, it was just everything. And I think the problem, and this is where your listeners start tuning in. I mean, I've done a lot of research on this. The, during my marriage, I did start to, um, get clinically depressed and I'm not sure what happens first, the depression or the trauma or the, um, drinking, but I know that they exponentially kind of wind themselves, wind each other up. Yes. And, um, you know, it just puts you in a place where you just don't realize how much it's affecting you ph physiologically. Um, at first, I didn't care. Right. It's just like I just drinking because it just feels better, it just feels better to check out. It feels better to not deal with this. But of course, the problem is when you wake up the next morning, the problem's still there. And so is your hangover. <laughs> right and, yeah and your regret for what you may have, may have said or did um i know that early on in our relationship we had a lot of um i would say violent not physically violent but verbally violent <laughs> um you know altercations and um some of them were definitely alcohol related um but then, you know, one day, and I think this happens, well, for some people, it happens right away. You know, it can happen based on our genes in a year or two. For me, it took decades. Um, but I noticed the ramping up of problems when I started using it to deal with trauma, stress, anxiety, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then all of a sudden you realize, well, wait, this is really bad. I'm, I can't lose weight. I was gaining weight. I was feeling horrible about myself. You know, you kind of know that you shouldn't be doing it, but you can't stop it. 
And then you, you try, you put, I call it mental gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> only after five, only on the weekends, only with other people, only when I go out on a date, only, you know what I mean? Only on right. holiday, only on Valentine's Day. And then you start breaking those promises. And at some point in my marriage, I became a Christian. And, um, you know, as a Christian, then it's like, please, God, help me, help me, help me. Oh, I promise God I won't, um, I won't do this again. And, you know, you're, you're, now your mental health starts to suffer. Because especially when you're the person that used to be like, well, if I put my mind to it, I can do it. If I put, and if people say, well, just do it, just do it. And it's just not that easy because one, there's a substance involved and two, behind the substance you've created a, your brain starts operating differently. You've created a neurological pathway. And, uh, yeah. And, and you want, um, you know, for me, I had trained myself romanticism, drink, stress, drink, check out, drink, fun, drink holiday drink. <laughs> it just started getting associated with everything I did. And we can apply this, you know, whether or not a, a listener has an alcohol or a substance abuse problem, you can apply this to almost any problem, eating, sugar, um, yeah. inter internet, phone, binge watching TV, right? And, and I say, it's, it's a habit. And to change any habit, it's like, wait, why is this hard? And, um, you know, it's hard because our minds were designed to be energy efficient mechanisms. And um, when you practice things, it, you don't have to learn them over and over again. It becomes automatic. So the best example I can think about this is getting to and from work. And you will drive... Um, to work without having any thought of how you did that. <laughs> it's because your subconscious mind is driving the car. It's right. looking It's looking both ways. It's taking a left turn. It's taking a right turn. And that's kind of what happens in all of our habits, whether they're good habits or bad habits. The 90% of our subconscious mind is just a tape recorder of things we practice. And... Um, and so that's why that's what's happening with the substance. There is a substance portion um, that you have to deal with and detox from, but that's only a short time. You know, it takes most people maybe two weeks to detox and in worst case scenarios, maybe 30 days. But why isn't it a whole lot easier after that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you ever tried to quit anything? And oh yeah. It's okay. not, it's not magic after, you know, a certain amount of time you're dealing with changing a neurological um, pathway and pattern. Right. Right. I so, quitting smoking was the hardest thing that I ever had to quit. And I've quit a number of things in the past, uh, both good and bad, but smoking was definitely the hardest because I had done it for so long. Those patterns were so deeply ingrained. Yeah, me and you both. I was a really heavy smoker, 35 years. I also started at 13 years old. Wow. But luckily I quit a long time ago. And I I will tell you that um, the quitting smoking 
was harder for me than quitting drinking. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was. Can you think I, of why? I think scientifically it's a much more addicting substance. And mm. yeah, I well, that's what I think. I just remember back. It could have been the place in, I was in my life. But when I think about how hard it was, and it was socially unacceptable too. I was in California. It was really frowned upon. So theoretically, that should be easy to give up, right? Um, but Except I, it's not. <laughs> thank you for understanding, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> I was living in California when I quit 10 years ago this October. So. Yeah. And so you understand the social unacceptable behavior that, I mean, at that point, wasn't it illegal to smoke outside? It was. It was illegal to smoke within, I don't remember if it was 15 or 20 feet of an entrance, whether that was a home or a business was irrelevant. And it was in all of Los Angeles County. I was living there at the time. It was insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had it, to work hard to find a place to go have a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Um, it. It, yeah, and that's, it just became so inconvenient. But, um, you know, one of the things I want to stop and just share at this point, because I know both of us can share this. Now you look back, when, when we first quit our cigarette habit, our mind thought it was impossible. How do we live without it? Man. You know? It's, oh, I've got stories. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, I just first want to start and, when we look in the rear view, view mirror, we go, how did we even believe that? And that's what I want to give hope to people that even though they may be in a, in a situation where a substance is controlling their lives, please understand that your brain is lying to you <laughs> in such a big way. And, and if you um, can have a vision for yourself that's different from the one that you have now and just give it a shot like give it a shot and believe it's possible then you can look back too and understand like what how did I believe that I couldn't get out and go on vacation without that how did I believe you know I could be romantic without that how it's yeah. I'm, I'm really stunned. I do feel like my mind is completely renewed, which is what I, you know, that's what I'm a proponent of is that since the 1960s, science has developed this concept of neuroplasticity. And it means that we can move around our neuro neurological pathways. It takes time you need to practice it anytime you want to change a habit it takes between um they say 66 and 200 days depending on how deeply ingrained it is um but yeah wow i remember when i was first trying to quit smoking i had tickets to go see angela lansbury on stage at the amundsen theater in los angeles and i had already determined that i was going to quit smoking and I took some Nicorette gum with me and I was so completely enthralled with Angela Lansbury in her, was it 90s, dancing around on this stage and, and it just, 
I was so excited to be there that I was chewing this Nicorette gum like it was going out of style. Next thing I knew, I started having the shakes. And I got very, very sick from it. And I think that was a huge deterrent for me to finally quit smoking was that I made myself violently sick wow. <laughs> trying to quit. But it, sometimes it takes that to really kind of sink it into our, our brains. You know? Yeah, that is the unfortunate thing. But that's also why I want to, you know, kind of talk to people about this. So many yeah. times, so many times we wait for an event that is kind of horrendous. Um, you know, a diagnosis from a doctor, the destruction of a relationship, yeah. um, a car accident, a DUI. Um, and I'm just like, look, let's just talk about it and be real uh, because we don't want to wait for that if we know the substance is controlling us and we're not controlling the substance um, because eventually that is what happens. You get, you hit the brick wall and you go, well, now I have to, but I'm just like, want to encourage people like, no, just give it a try. This is just 12 weeks, you know, yeah, you don't have to wait till you get that, that big sign. You can do it today. Well, and you don't have to do it forever. I'm big, big. And this should be really resonate with your listeners. I just, being a victim is not fun. It's just not fun. I was in such an abyss. I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And if it wasn't for my faith, I'm absolutely 110% sure I would not be here today. I would have taken my life. Um, I used to pray to God, like, please. And like, I wanted to get hit by the proverbial bus. I didn't want to do anything but I was like, okay, God, I'm ready. Take me home. And I say this openly and honestly because I've coached enough people to know that a substance abuse can get to that point and usually does. Like it usually gets to this point of why do I even bother? Like why do I even bother? And I just right. want, I want people to know that that's the substance and not you. And that you need to give it a try for a short amount of time before. But anyway, this is, like I said, want to empower people. I want to um, solve for cognitive dissonance. So you use that term a lot in, in your world, like believing two competing things about the same subject matter. So the, the uh, example would be an alcohol I love alcohol. I need to have, I need to, it to keep my friends. I need it to have fun. I need it for, you know, to go on dates. Like, how am I going to live without it? And then on the other side, same exact substance. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. It's ruining my life. I'm getting weight. I'm afraid they're going to diagnose me with a liver disease. You know what I mean? So which, <laughs> which one is true? Because you're believing two completely different thoughts about the same thing. And so what I'm trying to get to people to understand is truth versus lie, truth versus lie. And it's easier for us by default to move towards the truth and recognize the lie that we've told ourselves. Don't you, even in your smoking example, you can see that, correct? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What all do you think helped you to be able to heal from your past, from the trauma? 
Um, I, if I reflect on my journey, you know, I had so much anger in me. Um, you know, I, I, I was angry that I stayed in a marriage that I thought was psychologically abusive. Um, I was angry with God for not healing my marriage. I was angry, you know, at, at him for whatever I accused him of doing. Right. So I was just consumed with anger, consumed with this massive depression. I mean, I just felt so black inside. <laughs> and so I call it like I was in this deep, dark abyss. And I looked at my life and I just said, I don't want to be a victim. I want to be a survivor. And I'm going to show you, right? I'm going to show you that, like, and I, you can take this to anybody who you feel like has taken advantage of you to make you feel something less than you are. Um, so to me, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to show you. And so I had to work on a lot of negative self-talk of redirecting that thinking and identifying it, right? I, I have take a biblical approach, but it very much matches with the science. I'm a positive intelligence coach. And positive intelligence is a science-based program about um, redirecting your thoughts to manage the difficulties in life by using a positive approach, positive thinking versus negative thinking. And so I can translate that to biblically. God says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to capture your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And so if I'm telling myself I'm a loser or I'm worthless or, it's ne you know, I'm never going to do it, right? That's, a, that's not a thought that is equivalent to a child of God. <laughs> and, and um, you know, we were all born with um, a gift and a purpose and we got derailed, right? Somebody derailed us or we got derailed, you know, somehow by a situation that we were placed in and, and it creates a lot of negative thoughts. So just, you know, practicing um, identifying them to see, here's the other cool thing about the science of the brain. I call my walk a collision between personal suffering, the science of the brain, and God's word, right? And so um, the, where was I going with this? The science of the brain is um, capturing that thought. That So 90% of your brain is like your sub is in your subconscious mind, right? It's tape recorded the memorization, but the 10% of cognitive thinking can watch what's going on with the 90%. It's called awareness, right? So whether you're talking about um, positive intelligence or <clears throat> the verse about capturing your thoughts, making them obedient to Christ, you're, you're talking about building the awareness of going, there it is. There's that thought. No, not going to allow that. I'm going to redirect it to a truth because it's not true about me. I'm not, you know, you just have to commit to 
And that's why I like the biblical approach, being a child of God, being a child of value and, um, and worth, being lovable and loved, having a gift and a purpose. Because then it's so much easier to be clear about any negative thought about you is a lie. Does that mean there isn't things that we need to correct about ourselves? Yeah, that's just awareness and that's everybody. I used right. to spend, I don't know if you did this, but I used to spend so much time going, why is it okay for that person to be messed up? But when I'm messed up, it's a big deal. Like, well, everybody's messed up. Like none of <laughs> us, like none of us are perfect. And and once <laughs> now once we start understanding that none of us are perfect, we can have a lot of um compassion for others because bad behavior is usually built upon you know a hurt and we're trying to protect ourselves from being hurt again and um yeah so i don't know if that helps and i think the age of social media kind of bleeds into that too what we see is what people are willing to share and we look and see all of these people on social media and think that they have it all together and think that their lives are perfect. And what we got to remember is they're not perfect. They are human just as much as we are. And they've got their own struggles too. We need to stop comparing ourselves to what we can visually see because perception is not reality. And that really is it, <clears throat> you know, not being of this world. And um, this world is a very, very deceptive place. And I think all of us can see that. All of us can see the toxicity around us. And it's like, make it stop, you know? Yes. Um, but, and I love that, Amanda, because you're just, what you're saying is identify the lie. It, yeah. Don't be fooled by it. You, you need to identify the lie. And I think the less time you spend on social media. It's so funny. I say social media and then I, I was brave enough to start a TikTok account. <laughs> um, you know, I don't do anything fun or exciting. I just talk into, you know, uh, about alcohol, but you know, occasionally I, I don't, I try not to spend too much time in it. Um, but I do, I have been noticing a lot of women talk about the filters you know, yeah. and they're like, this is ridiculous because this isn't what I look like. And I'm glad that people are speaking up about it. Um, you know, we just need to, we do need to do our best to be the best version of ourselves and, um, you know, work towards that. Um, but beating ourselves, shame, shame never allows us to move forward. That's a, another thing that the devotional kind of focuses on is forgiveness aspect, forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others. And I know the secular world focuses on that, but of course I, I've got the faith focus. And when somebody's done something wrong to you, in biblical terms, it means they owe you a debt, right? And um, when God asks you to forgive somebody else, it's not about letting them off the hook for what they did. It's about releasing yourself from it and giving that debt to God for him to collect on. And, and 
to me, that's a very freeing way because when you focus on revenge or, you know, I'm going to, that kind of stuff, it just, you're the victim of that thinking mentality. But when you can hand it over to God about what somebody else did to you, that is very freeing. And then in terms of anything you did to yourself, this is why I love my faith because it doesn't matter what we've done. It does not matter. Um, we can look up and say, God, forgive me of my sins. And he's like, your slate is wiped clean. And I, I remember no more. And if we obey that, because a lot of times we may know that, but we don't believe it. But if we can actually implement that and look forward to the future and be unencumbered by our past, then we're set free, right? Then, oh, then, yeah. we, then we're set free. And so I think forgiveness of others and self is, is a big, big component. Right. I, I'm a big proponent for uh, forgiveness myself when I do stand up on stages and, and talk about my own life. That's usually how I end uh, my talk is, you know, if I can forgive the man who trafficked me, surely we can forgive the other people in our lives who have uh, committed sins against us, too. Right. And again, it doesn't mean we're letting them off the hook. It doesn't mean right. we have to let them in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't need boundaries. It doesn't mean we should forget what they did. Right. It, mean, it means we can just forget about it. <laughs> right. You know? We can let go of that anger. Yeah. Yeah. It just eats us up inside. Yeah. Nobody needs that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so when we originally had correspondence, one of the questions that I sent out was who inspires you the most and why? And you had a faith-based person that you wanted to um, talk about. And I would love it if you would tell us who that is and expand on why this is your hero. Yeah, <laughs> I mentioned it was David in the Bible, and uh, David was just a beloved figure of God, and um, he had he had just done so many bad things. Uh, you know, he let his anger get the best of him when he was queen. He um, he slept with another man's wife, and she got pregnant. And then it was like, uh-oh, we got to cover that up. So he put the husband of the wife, um, he was a, a soldier. So David made sure her husband, Bathsheba's husband, was at, at the front of the lines to make sure that he was killed. So I'm like, okay, here's the story of King David, who God loved and and David loved God, yet he was he his anger exploded at him. He was an adulterer and a murderer, and he was forgiven. He was forgiven. Of course, he repented of what he had done, and you know it's just this picture of the love I think that God has for us, despite anything that we've done. Um, you know it can you know. God made him king and, and he was a wonderful king and he was loved by God. So it's just, he's my, he's one of my favorite characters. Like when I go, that's who I want to meet. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, just because of his imperfection, because I, I, like many people, you know, are full of the self-talk, the, uh, the horrible, horrible self-talk that can come of, um, or the anger that can come from being taken advantage of. So, yeah. Yeah. And if, if God can take David back after all the things that David did and still love him and have a place for him and have a, a purpose for him, surely he can do that for the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 110%. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you yeah. have your book handy, I hear. I do. I do. Awesome. Would you be willing to share some with our audience? Yeah, I'm going to share just day one so that you can get a, an idea of the gentle approach. And if you don't mind, I'm going to explain something in advance. Like this is a this is a 12 week walk with God, um, and it's His kind of instruction book on how to get rid of this, how to stay the course and create transformation and a renewal of your mind. And for me, with the substance abuse, I used to think like AA was the only option. And I didn't like it because when we're full of horrendous self-talk, um, the last thing we want is another label, alcoholic, right? right. And, I, and we had to live with that label for the rest of our lives. I was a heavy smoker and I'm not, I wasn't a smokeaholic or a cigaretteaholic or I didn't have to recover from it. I chose to be alcohol. I mean, I chose to be not smoke because it was killing me. And so this particular devotional is very gentle, very loving, very hopeful because I know how people feel when they're at the depths of, of despair and they're drinking to avoid the pain that they've suffered. So with that in mind, I'll read the day one, right? And it starts with a scripture and it's first Timothy 4.15. And it says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And so that scripture is, you know, a recognition that look, in order to change something, we need to practice it. So then I have a mindful minute. This is like every day has one of these, a scripture, a mindful minute, a prayer. So the mindful minute says, this is a journey. This journey is a journey of practice and rewiring the beautiful mind that God created for each of us or renewing it as Paul writes in Romans 12. He created a mind that saves us energy and remain, remembers routine behaviors so we don't need to reteach them to ourselves each time we do them. Think about how we can drive to and from work and not remember how we got there and back to our driveway. Think about the routine you do before you go to bed at night. There isn't much thought put into these things because it's the perfect energy-saving mechanism designed by our creator. When we allow sinful practices to enter our daily routines, those perfect energy-saving pathways are also engaged, except this time the consequences can be harmful instead of helpful. During this 12-week journey, we'll, we will commit to practicing a different way of processing our triggers relating to our alcohol drinking habits. 12 weeks is the target, so you may truly see your progress. You can choose whatever path you believe is best for you at the at after this period, 
But for these 12 weeks, we will start practicing for the purpose of seeing progress and feeling how the Holy Spirit will work within us as we move this bad habit to the side. And then I say prayer. Then I end in a prayer every day. I am committed to practicing, Father. I want to embody integrity with my word to you during these 12 weeks. I will spend this period focused on your grace, love, and forgiveness. I will commit to living a life of appreciation for everything good in my life and give thanks to you. I will walk steadily in the path of your word for these 12 weeks so that my progress may be evident to me in all who I encounter. Thank you, Jesus. So that's the kind of gentle, loving, hopeful, <laughs> you know, um, thing that the reader will get every single day. And it's very cool. Yeah. It is and, kind of a different approach. It's, it's so much more gentle and so much less shameful. Yeah. Nobody ever accomplished anything because of shame. I just right. try and really encourage people to look at that that operating system and understand that it's just the science of the brain. It's just how God created us. And it's the substance, not, and it's the, the lies of this world. Um, you know, and just as we recognize it and we understand that there, that's the name of the devotional, right? The plans he has for me. Right. And as we recognize, um, I mean, if I can go from what I call the abyss and praying to God to be hit by a bus <laughs> uh, to talking to you, writing a book and starting a coaching program, <laughs> you know, I want people to know if that something different is available to all of us. And um, we just need to know that we're, we're valuable enough to take the initiative and um, we need to believe people that walked before us to tell them, trust me, it's a lie that you're believing right now. Just try it. Just hold my hand and come with me and try it for just a little bit. So you see what I'm saying is true. And um, there's no greater joy for me than to see people transform their thinking and understanding around this. It's just pure joy. Yeah. And I understand somebody had some really powerful feedback for you the other day. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this was a nice, um, a nice surprise. A lot of the Amazon reviews will say like, wow, this is good, you know, for any bad habit, sugar, food, you know, that's pretty consistent, not just alcohol, right. but other things. And, um, and so I had met the author of another, um, a different book at a book fair, and he had his daughter with, the, with them. And um, she's an adult, but she was addicted to meth and heroin. And she, her dad had just gone through hell with her, you know, trying to help her in every way. She was in rehab quite a few times. She went to jail um, and she was in rehab programs in jail. And even after a year or maybe two, she was still struggling with this concept of being free of the drugs. And I said, you know, I, you know, I just introduced her to my approach and I gave her a book. I go, maybe, maybe you can go through this because I just think viewing it differently might help you. 
And that was six months ago. And she kept it on her coffee table. And I check in every three months and, you know, kind of not a big response. But a week ago, she um, texted me. And first she said, I just want to let you know that I kind of started drinking alcohol. No big deal. I'm not addicted. I'm just doing maybe a shot a night. But I see things creep in. Like, this isn't my drug of choice. But I am concerned that this could creep in and be something bad. So I opened your book and I started applying it and I'm like, Oh, good. And then seven days later, she, she texts me, she goes, this is really totally spirit inspired. I've gotten more benefit out of this seven days than the years I've spent in rehab. And she wants to bring it into the prisons, to her social worker. She's like, I'm going to get this all over the state of Washington. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, yeah. It was, you know, people just, yeah, that, that warms my heart. It makes me think I've done something good. And it's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's just a hopeful and gentle approach. And, and that's what I needed. I didn't need to be shamed anymore. I had enough shame to fill a lake you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. so um yeah and just understanding you know we we have been victims to certain behaviors of other people we have been but that doesn't mean we need to stay in victimization mode because that lets them win right right yeah and one more time where people can go when they want to grab a copy of your book is to your website. Yeah, you can get a copy of my book on the website. Um, and also I would really encourage people to get that um, free resource at www.theplanshasforme.com because that's where, you know, these foundational principles for ridding yourself of that psychological slavery really um reside so really encourage them to do that yeah yes i would love to have more people reach out to you yeah um, and there's always one last question that i ask people before i let them go uh, and it's definitely my favorite question but <laughs> <laughs> what is one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance oh um compassionate I I have a lot of compassion for people and that works really like and God uses that gift right to help others because so many people will and this is what I want to do is get rid of the stigma um you know I think when people come to me for coaching it doesn't matter what they say they've done I'm like yep yeah, uh-huh I get it <laughs> they're like you I'm like yeah I mean, let's face it, we, we do things under the influence that, you know, we wouldn't normally do. And it's embarrassing I and mean, it does cause shame. But, you know, I just, I just think just creating an awareness like, hey, that's that substance doing that to me, you know, um, and understanding that I need to take action because I want to be in a different place. And uh, yeah. I'll go with compassion. It's a pretty beautiful answer. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And Roseanne, I have very much enjoyed our chat today and talking about um, your journey. You are amazing. I hope you recognize that. Oh, thank you. 
And I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for today. Oh, thanks for having me, Amanda. It's been really my pleasure as well. And good luck to you and your other speaking engagements. I know you got some big stuff coming up. Yeah, yeah, I do. So um, thanks. I appreciate it. Hey, audience, that's your cue to go follow Roseanne Forte. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Thanks. Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking.